the maximum thing you can do as a human being is just just be the best human being you possibly can be and, and we're all different and we're all blessed with being unique and we're all blessed with unique skills and things we're not great at and all that sort of stuff but um, I just say to people, I say to my kids all the time, just you know, be, be the very best you can be. And if you answer that, whatever your results will be, they'll be. Welcome to Brave Bold Brilliant Podcast. I'm here today with Paul Flo, who is the CEO of Born Leisure. Welcome, Paul. Nice to see you. Lovely to see you again. It's always great to spend quality <laughs> time with you. Absolutely. And it's taken us an absolute age to get this in the diary. And I've been persistent. I have tracked you down. And finally, finally, we've got you on the podcast. So I'm delighted. <laughs> I'm, I'm delighted to be here with you. Brilliant. Honestly, Paul, thank you so much for coming on. And, you know, I mean, you've had a, an illustrious career in sort of travel, leisure, hospitality space. Um, so I think a great place to start, Paul, if it's all right with you, would just give us a bit of a canter through so kind of your background, how you've ended up doing what you're doing, because obviously you've got a really interesting portfolio of businesses that you're running. But um, life would have started somewhere else for you, I assume. Yeah, life, life started with me uh, in Kenton which is in northwest London, uh, which is near Wembley Stadium. Although, given I'm a Queen's Park Rangers fan, I never go to Wembley Stadium. Uh, uh, my uh, mum and dad, my dad is an East Ender, uh, youngest of 11. Uh, and, uh, my mum's youngest of four. Uh, my, uh, and I had a, I've got a baby sister who's no longer a baby sister. Uh, and as we'll probably talk about uh, throughout this uh, podcast, uh, family and community and everything around that is very, very important to me. <clears throat> and that is really the upbringing, upbringing I had. Um, in terms of career, um, actually, before I get into my career, I always, I always talk about my mum and dad a bit, actually, because I think they've had a bigger influence on my career than um, all the blue chip brands I will talk about shortly. Um, my uh, dad, uh, one of 11 from a very poor background in the east end of London, uh, basically left school at sort of 13, 14 to bring some money on the table for siblings and parents and cousins and ran many markets stall all around the East End of London. Uh, and my mum was a hairdresser. And when they got married, uh, they opened a shop in Watford uh, and they opened a hair and, a hair and beauty cosmetic shop, which um, may surprise you. Um, I think I got the um, I think I got the old stock or the trial and error stock or the testers or whatever. Um, but my mum and dad, um, despite having Boots, John Lewis, Superdrug all next door of them, uh, managed to create out of nothing a really successful, proper sole trader business. Um, and they taught me more than anything about why a team member is so important. I mean, my mum and dad treated their team members as members of our family. They came to our wedding, they came to uh, my bar mitzvah, they came to birthday parties. I can still close my eyes and think of Tina and Brenda and Janet and Janine, all, all people who are key to my mum and dad's uh, business. Um, they taught me the importance of customers. Um, they couldn't buy things as cheap as their competitors. They couldn't go on TV. What they had to do was know every single customer really, really well. Um, and they taught me the art of selling. Uh, I, I don't think anyone walked into mum and dad's shop and bought a shampoo without some conditioner or some nail varnish without the stuff, which makes sure it doesn't uh, drip or, or gets dry really quickly and that sort of stuff. So they told me all about those three things. And, and the biggest, one of the biggest memories I had from them was um, 
when my mum and dad sold their businesses before they had to retire and stuff, I remember turning around the corner uh, and literally see two and a half thousand customers wanting to say goodbye to my mum and dad. Uh, and they'd only sold them shampoo, hair tint, uh, some perm lotions and, and nail varnish and hair straighteners. To think they had that much of an impact on people, they want to say goodbye, really, really struck me actually on, on how important it is to properly look after and get to know your customers. So that's sort of a bit of background. I mean, going back to the original question, I um, I went to Manchester University. I was the first flown to ever go to university. Uh, most of my family would never even heard of university and probably thought I was a bit strange for going there. So I'm really proud. My mum and dad were especially proud of being me being the first flown to go to university. Uh, I then became a chartered accountant at PwC, uh, uh, which was great, and a good few years there. Uh, I then went to the Rank Group, which was a FTSE 50 company at the time, a real leisure conglomerate. Um, and actually, they actually owned Haven Warner and Butlins at the time, which we may come back to later. Uh, uh, I actually did strategy for them, uh, looking at bingo, casinos, amusement, arcades, nightclubs, pubs, and cinemas. You probably start to get to know what I like to do. Uh, <laughs> I did strategy there for a couple of years. I then uh, went into operations because uh, I then had an ambition to uh, to run something. Uh, I became an assistant manager at the Odin Muswell Hill for a short period of time, then the general manager at the Odin Barnet for a short period of time, then the regional uh, director for London, the southeast, where I had about thirty-five cinemas and. A, that point, um, ranks hold Odeon uh, to private equity, so some private equity experience. Uh, I then went to Whitbread to become the operations director of a brand called Travelling. Uh, that very quickly became Premierin, and I became the chief operating officer of Premierin. Uh, I then became the managing director of Whitbread Restaurants, which was Beef Eater, Brewers Fair and Table Table. And then I became the managing director of all of Whitbread Hotels and Restaurants, so all of Premierin and all the Whitbread Restaurants. Uh, and everything to do with property procurement and any overseas developments. Uh, and then about six and a half years ago, I was uh, incredibly lucky uh, to be given the role of Group Chief Executive of Born Leisure. So wow. We can, go, we can go wherever you fancy going with uh, that download. <laughs> well, listen, fascinating. There's so much in here. You know, and, and what I love about, about this is, you know, through your your career, you had that great start with your parents and and that entrepreneurial spirit, and yet you have chosen more of the corporate world actually. But that entrepreneurial flair must have been in you, probably you know, because you would have seen your parents, hardworking parents, building their business up. So, how do you think that helped you in your corporate career, that entrepreneurial aspect? Because very often people will say, "Oh, if you're in the corporate world, it's not entrepreneurial," which of course is not the case, right? But it's often a misconception. So how did you marry those two two aspects of your upbringing in that entrepreneurial space with the corporate amazing branch you've worked with? Yeah, I think um, I've always had an ambition when running large businesses is how can you keep them small? Uh, mm. I think many large businesses get caught in a bit of a trap because, you know, we're large, we're corporate, we have to do things a certain way. And I guess in my deep blood um, is actually the power of a small business will actually always be to large business um, mm. because they can be more dynamic. They can be more entrepreneurial. They get closer to the guest. Every team member has a name, you know, team turnover doesn't exist with small businesses. It's someone's left and it's a real person and we know them. And, and I've always had a desire to try and run businesses 
um, using the leverage of business gives, which is, you know, advertising campaigns, brand, procurement, efficiencies, but not lose the fact is a real guest has a name, a real team member has a name, you can move quickly. Um, if, if there's not enough takings on any particular day as a sole trader, that makes a big, big difference. And therefore, generally in my blood is this entrepreneurial operator who, when I've got a problem to solve, will always probably imagine what it was like to solve in a little shop in Watford. Mm, yeah, and that keeping close to the customer is critical, isn't it? Because like you say, every every single person, you know, you're affecting lives, you're creating experiences, and they're hopefully they're joyous experiences, or someone staying in a hotel, they're normally there for a reason. And it might be a celebration, or it might be, I don't know, they're there because they've got an operation the next day, or it could be a whole bunch of stuff. But you're you're changing lives, aren't you, actually, in, in a very real way. So that that sort of empathy with the customer. How have you kept yourself close to the customer, given the size of the organisations that you're running? Because I think that can often be challenging. You can become quite removed sometimes. Not you, but it's 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 a problem when you're dealing with with the investors, you're dealing with the city, you're dealing with all of that. But actually, how do you keep your feet on the ground when it comes to the customer? I think uh, I've generally got an innate love for the customer, uh, and in my business now, yeah, you know, we've got we've got a goal to give all our guests a great time in memories that last a lifetime. So the, 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 the mission is so guest focused. We call our customers guests because we believe in hospitality. They're more guests than, than customers. And I've just got an innate view that no business can be successful unless you're giving our guests a great time. And therefore the most important thing I can do is set up an organization which really believes that's the most important thing. Uh, and therefore, if I if I go and visit sites, you know, the first thing I'll do is actually talk to either guests or the team members who speak to the guests. That would always be my would always be my first move in any business I've run, and and, and especially here. Um, whenever we uh, whenever we talk about the businesses with anyone, the first sort of questions I'll always be asking is how are guests feeling? What are they telling us? What could we do better? And I think a lot of time in leadership, it's the questions you ask which have the biggest multiplier effect rather than anything else you do on flashy presentations and that sort of stuff. And it's the consistency of those questions which becomes so important. Um, and I've always tried to, you know, we've got, you know, we're, we'll give 4 million people a great holiday this year in Bourne. Um, I can't possibly know all their names, all their addresses, why they came and that sort of stuff. But I can certainly talk to the organisation, both culturally and in a mission way, that that is the most important thing. Uh, and I think culture and what you ask has the biggest multiplier effect on any business mm, yeah and and within born leisure because I, obviously i you know being in the industry i know born leisure you know pretty well but the brands within it do you want to just give us a flavor of, of kind of the, the 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 portfolio so that people who maybe don't know born they will know the businesses in terms of the consumer facing brands yeah so we've got two fantastic businesses which i'm enormously proud of and i'm enormously proud of everyone who works in those businesses uh, we've got haven and we've got warner uh, haven is the uh, the largest and i would of course would say the best uh, uk holiday home uh, and uh, caravan market uh, we in haven have about uh, three and a half million guests a year uh, who have a great holiday with us in Haven. These are very big sites. Every one of our sites has an indoor swimming pool, has large F&B facilities, has great areas for shows, has adventure playgrounds. Uh, and every single one of our sites, uh, you can literally throw a cricket ball on the beach and the sea. So the real estate is fantastic. Uh, Haven at its peak would have about 12,000 team members. 
Uh, and uh, we also have got 25,000 people who uh, own a holiday home with us who are really, really integral and important to our business. Uh, and, and Haven operates in a static caravan market, which is about 2 billion, uh, and we're the largest. And I would argue we give, we've got the best team, we give the best guest experiences, um, and I'm pretty sure our shareholders bought us because we also deliver the best shareholder return. So that's that's our Haven business. Our Warner business um, is aimed at adult-only UK short breaks. Um, it's got about six to 700,000 guests. Um, our experience is almost a cruise on land. It's where adults predominantly about 45 years plus um, basically come away to a Warner for three, four days when they buy their Warner stay, overnight accommodation, uh, breakfast, dinner, fantastic entertainment at night, some great stuff to do during the day. Uh, and by the way, there's no kids and there's no corporates and that sort of stuff. It's completely dedicated uh, to uh, people thinking about three to four days short stay, adult only break. So both are um, market leading, they're both fantastic businesses and they've both got huge growth prospects. Uh, mm. Most importantly, they give guests memories that last a lifetime. Yeah, and I mean, listen, you talked about segmenting the customer, you know, adults only, sort of family proposition. And, and obviously, you know, Haven isn't just a family, it's because you get a lot of couples as well, don't you? And I think you've done a lot on the diversity, equity and inclusion as well, you know, in, in terms of whether, it, you know, gay couples, straight couples, you know, very much a very inclusive, welcoming environment. Um, how how important has been keeping all of the product proposition fresh because there's so much choice isn't there for the customer these days both domestically but of course you're competing against overseas um holidays as well so you know what are the big things that are on the innovation side that have made the difference do you think for, for your your businesses over the last few years um and it's back to the original question about how, how do you really transform businesses and, and i think those who are obsessed with the guest and build strategies around that obsession will tend to be more successful than those who aren't um, and myself with a, a brilliant bunch of people have, have, have delivered a lot of strategies which have given our guests a much better time. And some of those strategies have been driven through our people by recruiting good people, by training them, by engaging them, by inspiring them and motivating them and giving them great tools to do the job. Some of that improvement has been by relentlessly focusing on what our guests are saying and just improving day-to-day -day operations and getting rid of those mistakes, you know, making sure our cleaning's better than it's ever been before, making sure our food comes out hotter when it needs to be hot and cold when it needs to be cold and all comes together and making sure our landscaping's perfect. Some of it's come through some significant investment and across the both brands, probably over the last two years, we've probably spent, I don't know, close to half a billion pounds on just improving the guest experience. That could be better show bars, that could be better act outdoor activities, that could be improving the actual caravans, that could be improving the bedrooms in Warner, that could be building and, and buying new sites. And then there's a whole improvement in our digital programme to make sure that our guests can buy what they want when they want uh, and to really get rid of queues, allow people to buy stuff at tables, allow people to buy things in advance of their stay. So it's been a sort of a, a four-pronged attack to really make sure the whole organisation is obsessed with our guests, get our teams in a great place and really value our teams, value the people who clean our caravans, who cook our food, value them the most, um, really make sure that we focus the organisation on delivering guest experiences and everyone is incentivised on that and bonus on that and we introduce balanced scorecards and that sort of stuff. 
Thirdly, put the investment in, which is going to make the biggest difference to our guests. And fourthly, make sure that investment isn't just physical, but also digital. Mm, yeah, fantastic. And, you know, obviously we, 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 we're coming off the back of global pandemic, COVID, um, and, you know, our industry is nothing if not resilient, right? Um, and, and we've had all sorts of shocks and, yeah. my God, you name it. So it's not just, um, you know, the the recent, more recent events that have been challenging. But when you're managing a business through those really difficult times, how do you kind of keep your resilience as a leader when the t- when times are tough and you are having to make some of those difficult choices around, you know, keeping people on, maybe having to let people go, keep the operation running, but at the same time, make sure that commercially, obviously, you know, that the business is in financial health during those times. So how, how do you stay resilient as a leader yourself, Paul, through those difficult times? Look, I'm just lucky. I've got a, a brilliant role i've got loads of accountability but um you know my resilience is luckier than loads of other people who might be challenged with a health perspective might be challenged in different you know different set of circumstances so yeah it's really odd that you're asking me about my resilience i i i, I hope to help other people become more resilient who maybe have a much more challenged life than i currently do so I, i'm quite humble about that um, the other thing is, is all a human being can ever do is do their very, very best um, and focus them, focus themselves on, am I doing my best? And I, am I doing it with the most skill I possibly can? And I think, you know, COVID tested us all on that. But fundamentally, the most important question you've got to ask yourself every day is, am I doing my very best? Am I doing my very best for our teams? Am I doing my very best for our guests? Am I doing my very best for our caravan owners and our shareholders? And if you keep asking yourself that question, then you will do better than most people will. Um, I always had a, um, we've got a really strong mission statement and vision and some values underneath it. And when you're, when you're properly faced with some really difficult decisions, you just go right back to the basics, go right back to what makes the organization the best it can be, go back to what the true values are, go back to, all those presentations you said when the wind was behind you to say, well, are you going to are you going to talk about the same things when the wind's right in front of you? Um, and I'm really proud, not just of me, but, you know, my team through that time, actually our shareholders in that time. And that, that did change it. We had some brilliant family ownership at the time and we now moved in to Blackstone. But actually, you know, I'm really proud of everyone looked at what will make this business successful for the long term. And we made some great decisions which means i look back and everything we talk about our organization was the same in the hardest times than it is in the easiest times and i think that's when you that's when you test the culture yeah yeah definitely and actually you know some of the innovation you were talking around and the investments quite possibly you know maybe some of that actually almost made you think more creatively was do you think that was the case during during you know the pandemic it almost gave you the opportunity to kind of relook at the operation what can we do better you know delivering quality etc and like you say having that longer term view because i think a lot of businesses actually ironically came out stronger because of the pandemic than if it had not happened at all which when you're in it doesn't necessarily feel like that's the case right yeah we would we've definitely come out stronger um and you know we we were fortunate we had yeah, we went into it with a really good business with really good backing and therefore we we were able to make those really tough decisions um, but there's a few reasons we came out stronger. I think culturally we came out stronger because people could see 
what we really cared about the most. And I think that's important. Uh, and it, therefore, that got properly tested. Um, we were forced to be so quick in changing all the time. The organisation has come out much pacier. Um, and I think the one danger with big organisations is um, they, they end up getting slower in life, not quicker in life. I think what, they, what COVID allowed us to do is actually quicken our decision making. It quickened. Um, the, it, I mean, the ability for us to open or close meant we had to really move really, really quickly. We've never had to do that for many a time. And therefore, that really made a big, big difference. It definitely fast tracked some of the investment. Um, it got us thinking how we could operate things in a, a more focused way. I mean, it, and it's not just digital. Um, we introduced in Haven a cleanliness guarantee, for example. Uh, and in COVID, that feels like a no-brainer thing to do. But actually, the organisation would have found that quite hard to have introduced that quickly. Mm. Would have been forced to test it and trial it in a few sites. Instead of that, we just rolled it out. Um, we also rolled out, you know, how do you avoid having to get people to check in and how can they go straight to caravans? And we use a good mixture of both digital and operational techniques to make that happen, which, again, made it better for the guests. These are all things which I think the time of COVID forces to do um it also forces to prioritize which which is which has really been helpful going forward um so what a nightmare it was for everybody uh, and by the way you know my nightmare is completely relative to you know nurses and people had to work in hospitals yeah. and people who suffered losses in their family you know my resilience wasn't tested anywhere near as much as anything like that which was going on in, in people's lives and you know, you know, parents having to work out how to homeschool kids and all that. The resilience was tested far more than what I had to do to try and get born in the best possible place. Equally, I'm really proud where born is relative to that. And, and that has been a brilliant team effort. Yeah, fantastic. And, you know, Paul, I mean, you know, when you look back through your through your career, it, you know, to someone on the outside looking in would think, oh, my God, it's all right for Paul. He's had a stellar career. Everything's gone wonderful. You know, you've worked for these incredible brands. Everything's rosy in the garden. But I'm sure you will have had difficult times in your career as well, not necessarily during Bourne, you know, where maybe things haven't gone so well. And I think it's really important that we, you know, we keep it real, right? Because, yeah. you know, as CEOs, as business leaders, you know, not everything goes our way. We have highs, lows, we mess up on certain things, we've got to fail at certain things. So could you share a little bit around maybe the the parts of your career that have been more difficult or maybe you failed at things or you didn't get the promotion you wanted or whatever, you know, that's kind of balances that incredible success that you've had? Any of those sort of things you, you can you can just share yeah. with us? It's, it's funny, actually. I don't, you know, talk about incredible success, actually, you know, if you ask me what I'm most proud of, it's it's my wife Gail, it's my five children, it's my extended community. Yeah, that that's that's for me defined success much more than you know how well I've done at work and that sort of stuff. I think success is defined by your whole life, not not just part of it, and that's really important to me. Um, yeah, there's been many many times throughout my career where you know results haven't quite gone as you would have liked them to have gone. Um, you haven't bought a business you wanted to buy or your sales numbers aren't quite doing what they wanted to do or your guests aren't reacting or someone's beating you to a job. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's there's loads of those, loads of those examples. Um, I go back to what I said earlier, really, which is um, you know, the only question you ever really have to ask yourself in life is, you know, have you done your very best? And when you look in the mirror, you know, have you done your very best? And if the answer to that is yes, and that's not just what you do, but how you do it and how you go about it and the values mm -hmm. you're living by, 
as long as you can answer that, then actually resilience and disappointments are just outputs. Because the, the maximum thing you can do as a human being is just, just be the best human being you possibly can be. And, and we're all different and we're all blessed with being unique. And we're all blessed with unique skills and things we're not great at and all that sort of stuff. But um, I just say to people, I say to my kids all the time, just you know, be, be the very best you can be. And if you answer that, whatever your results will be, they'll be. Um, and yeah. disappointment is when you actually make it all about the result and not about being the best person you can be. Mm, really yeah, no, I, I love that. Moment. Sorry, Paul. So I, that's sorry. really how I think about disappointment. Uh, mm. Because, you know, in business, in life, you need a bit of dose of luck. Um, there's, a, there's a word I use, which may talk about later, it's called muzzle, which is uh, Yiddish for, yet, for luck. And I think you always need a dose of luck. And you can, do, you can do brilliant things or you can do poor things. And luck can make quite a big difference to either. Um, and often that can be the big difference between the disappointment or not, which is why... You know, advisor would go right back to go, did you give it your best? And if you didn't, where was it you didn't give it your best and where could you improve? Don't focus on, I wish the result was different. Yeah, yeah. And you talked about your 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 lovely wife and your five incredible children. That's You've been a busy guy, right? <laughs> a busy guy building that family, creating that family. How do you balance being a dad, being a working dad with big jobs, you know, throughout your career and, and just making sure that you can be you can be the best father and husband as well as being, you know, a great leader? Well, you'll have to ask Gail and my five kids whether I'm the best husband and the best father. Uh, again, I can only do my best. Um, I, I, I generally think I, um, I've got a pretty good perspective on life um and the the role different bits of your life plays in your whole life and you know there's no there's no, there's no question in my mind um that um my life isn't all about my work my life is about providing life for everybody actually um and i i always strive to try and get that balance right it's not easy i've got a, a pretty full-time well very full-time job which i could you know, do 24 hours a day seven days a week if i wanted to and i'm very passionate about it and i love it and I love making a difference to millions of people in the UK. And, I'm, and you know, I, I absolutely love doing that. And I, I love it for all aspects, whether it's pleasing our shareholders, teams and guests. But I also love trying to create a family, um, which I'm really, really proud of. Um, and I love to spend time with that family, whether it's Gail, whether it's the kids. And I force myself to try and get balance. Um, so um, we always have a big Friday night occasion. Uh, we always have, it's a big family night, you know, being Jewish, it's a big family night for us. Um, it's a time of, a time of where we invite friends and family around and we always talk about our week and we always talk about the highs and lows and we have a bit of a laugh together and we find some things to argue because I think that's healthy. Um, and uh, that's really important. The Jewish festivals are important. Holidays are important. I wouldn't be running a holiday business if I didn't think holidays were important, but they're also important personally. Um, and it's about trying to get that, trying to get that balance right. Um, and uh, some weeks you do it better than others, um, but uh, and could do better will always be how do I find a way and balancing with five children and girl and I'm blessed with over 30 first cousins. Uh, how do I look after, unfortunately, my, my dad and my and girl's dad have recently passed away. How do we look after the two mums uh, and blessed with good friendship? That's, that's not easy to, to balance it all. Again, all you can, all you can do that is your best. And all we can do is signal to people it's important. Mm, I yeah. think signaling it's important. Even if you don't get it right every day, I think signaling is it's important. And there's no reason why people can't have 
have it all. You know, what, why can't you be a brilliant leader in business and throw everything into that and do the right things and create successful businesses? At the same time, why can't you be a, a brilliant dad, a brilliant mate, brilliant son, brilliant husband? You know, I, I do think you can find a way of making that all sing. Mm, and I mean, listen, we started when we started talking, Paul, you were talking about the the strong, positive influence, the role models that your parents, um, you know, were. Yeah. I'm really sorry to hear you've lost, you've lost your dad. It's hard, isn't it, losing a parent? I, my dad died yeah. 11 years ago. And I don't think there's a day goes by that I don't think about it. Yeah. Or there's a song on the radio. And OK, I don't cry the same way that I did at first. But, I, I, you know, there's always a moment yeah. most days. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, a bit like you, you know, growing up, not necessarily in a particularly um, affluent family, quite a working class family, I, I would grew up, but the values that stay with you and those role models from those early, early days, I'm sure your dad was incredibly proud of you and your mum's continues to, to be so. Um, but you talked about growing up um, with sort of the Jewish faith. Yeah. And I know that you're involved with the Holocaust Education Trust. So can you just yeah. talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's that's a you know really commendable thing to, that you're involved in yeah. there. Yeah, um... Deep, deeply personal, really. Um, uh, I'll tell you, you, I thought one of the questions you're about to ask is who, who else inspires you and, and who's your hero and that sort of stuff. And um, my hero in life is my Uncle Alec. Um, and when I was growing up, um, Uncle Alec used to come around every Friday night. Uh, and uh, he, as, as he came in, I always used to run down the stairs as sort of an eight, nine, ten-year-old because my Uncle Alec used to have a joke of the week and he also used to have a song of the week. And by the way, both ended up being quite inappropriate at the time. So as a kid, you couldn't wait to hear it. Um, <laughs> when I became 13 and Jewish religion, you have your bar mitzvah at 13 and you officially become a man. Um, my uncle Alex sat me down uh, and he said, Paul, you know me as a joker and loving life and that sort of stuff. Um, let me tell you my story. Uh, and my uncle Alex came from uh, a village in, in Poland um he um and as he told me his story he lifted up his shirt and he and there were six numbers there uh um and he showed me at the time i thought it might be a tattoo but they, these are his concentration camp numbers um and he survived mount hazen buchenwald uh two slave labor camps and three ghettos his entire family were murdered um the vast majority of them were gassed in treblinka uh, his mum, his dad, his grandparents, his siblings. He escaped as sort of a 13-year-old with his 10-year-old brother. He went underneath the wires in the ghetto. And um, he survived for six months in the forest where he eventually got captured eating mud and grass, basically. And because his brother was too young, his brother was um, brutally shot in front of him. Um, and my uncle then went on to these concentration camps and one, was one of two 200,000 people in his town who survived. Um, and um, he's just the most incredible man. And, and there's a few few reasons he's most, one, how'd you go through that? And, you know, when you saw um, what he had to go through and the amount of times he turned left and if he'd turned right, he would have been gassed and the beatings he had and all that sort of stuff. So basically send a signal to me that um, I want you to first remember me for jokes. I want you to first remember me for singing. And yet, at the same time, had lost his entire family. Um, to then spend his entire life wanting to educate people of how bad hate is in life. Um, 
to though also to find a way that education is much more important than the hate. So he went into schools up and down the country. He had to went into prisons up and down the country to help people. Even when his daughter was growing up, and of course he's a couple of generations older than me, um, his daughter once came home from school and they said, I've got to have a pen pal. And my uncle, whose entire family were brutally murdered, insisted his daughter had a German schoolgirl pen pal to make sure that no hate was going to flow through the, the family. Just makes him the most in, incredible person. Um, if you went to Auschwitz today and looked up, um, there's a big book as you go into Auschwitz. Um, there's 782 names with the name Flom on it. So I have lost them, quite a lot of distance cousins and that sort of stuff. My grandparents actually got out um, in the early 1900s. They escaped the Russian pogroms, but um, got out in the early 1900s. But a load of Flom's went. You can see why Holocaust education is massively important to me. Um, not just to remember it from a historical perspective, but it's clearly a memory for me. It's something which, which is my memory. Um, but I actually think um, the danger of hate is just horrendous and the danger of apathy. I mean, my uncle would tell me that apathy was more dangerous than hate and and people who just saw it all and said nothing and did nothing. And I think they say the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. Um, and Holocaust education is about trying to get rid of any indifference, not just on what tragically happened uh, to six million of, of um, Jewish people and, and other people, the six million Jews, um, but it's also to make sure we educate people that these things can't happen again. So I'm massively important because of my background um, and because of what has happened many times and, um, and also try to help do my bit to educate people. Mm, gosh, wow, you're Uncle Alec, like you say. I mean... There are no words. There are no yeah. words to, to, you know, I mean, what what a, what a true inspiring, I mean, talk about the word inspiring, you know, brave, bold and brilliant. I mean, it's kind of, you know, encapsulated in, in that, that wonderful story. How did you feel when you sat you down and you were sort of, you know, you're learning all of this? You know, can you take yourself back and, and, and it, feel it was, the emotion? I mean, some, and he told me at different stages in my life, but um, it was a moment in my life where, my responsibility as an individual changed dramatically and, and that's increased. You know, you, when you become a dad, when you get married, it happens. When you become a dad, it happens. There's been different stages. I've properly learned what happened um, to Uncle Alec and my family, where my responsibility as a human being has gone to a different level. My responsibility as a Jewish man has gone to a, a different level uh, to make sure that, you know, I carry that responsibility and um, do everything I can to educate people, but also to see humans in the right light. Um, and therefore, you know, it's, it, it, it makes a big difference to how I lead organisations. It makes a difference to how I lead my life. Um, it makes a big difference to my values. You asked me a question and I, I didn't quite answer it at the time in terms of resilience. Anytime I got a problem in business, I carry my uncle's story with me. He wrote it down in pretty broken English in 15 pages. Um, if I'm having a tough sales period or something's not going quite right or COVID's hit, I just read his story and, you know, it all becomes relative pretty quickly. Yeah, you're right. Perspective is everything, isn't yeah. it? Context and perspective. No, absolutely. I mean, how humbling and uh, yeah, and I, was, I had goose pimples when you were when you were talking. Actually, I'm sure that happens when you when you share that story with other people as well. But yeah, um, it normally takes me an hour to tell it properly. I mean, uh, to do it. Yeah, but, yeah. You will have to have a follow up. 
yeah. also a follow-up a follow-up episode Paul where we yeah. kind of you know talk about that in a bit more detail that'd be amazing to do as well and you know you were talking about purpose in business right yeah. and, and you've just looped back round to your own purpose really yeah. and reason why you know and I mean I'm a big believer that you know it's really important to to know why we're here right what 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 legacy do we want to leave what what footprint do we want to to leave in in this world and what do you want to be known for and and all of those really important things and I think a lot of people don't always find their true purpose unfortunately for whatever reason maybe they follow a path that they think they should do because it was expected of them um and you know but it strikes me that as you're talking you're, you're very you're very comfortable in your own shoes. You're very, you know, as you say, values driven, and you've got such, you've got a very strong why. But if you were to encapsulate your why, how would you summarize it, Paul? From a personal perspective or a business perspective, personally. Well, well, public, maybe both. Actually, I think I mean, both. Are important. I think. Um, I, I I I genuinely believe I've been really really lucky um in life and i look at the background what, what i've just described my my dad from a really poor background east end and i've been given just unbelievable opportunities and my purpose is trying to do the very best with those opportunities and and when i say the very best i'm not it's not what what the car looks like or what the house looks like or anything like that it's actually properly doing the best of the opportunities you know uh, in the work perspective, how can I create more jobs? How can I make more careers? How can I properly create memories? How can I do something which the UK properly values? In the personal perspective is, you know, how can I help more people personally? How can I mentor people? How can I help the community? How can I help my mates? How can I help the family? Um, how can I get people thinking better, being better? Um, now, you never reach the end goal there. But I, I generally think is, you know, I, I've got an opportunity to do more. I need to make sure that I am every day make, making a difference to people. Um, and I love doing that. And I'll, I'll do more for the people closer to me, I'm sure, don't we all, the people we love the most. But I generally think in life, my purpose is, you know, can I make it better for people? Mm, yeah, and I, I think that's that's amazing. And it really does shine through. You know, the, people talk about authentic leadership and, you know, a bit of buzzwords and stuff. But I think, uh, you know, the passion and the energy and the warmth and the energy, you know, that you kind of exude from you is is really incredible. Um, and you know, as I say, I'm sure your your parents rightly proud of, of what you've achieved. Have you changed? How have you changed? You think, Paul, over the years? You know, as you've matured and obviously you've had this sort of amazing career, you've had this collection of experiences. You have had the highs, the lows, the family background. How have you evolved as a person? Do you think? So I've definitely seen the link between. Uh, it's why I love this industry so much. It's, it's the one industry, I think, where you can generally, by doing the right things, you'll also produce a brilliant shareholder result. Um, mm. And actually, by producing a better shareholder result, you invest more for the team and the guests, and, the, and it becomes this great cycle. So I generally, that connection has made me more ambitious to get into growing businesses because I know it can have a greater impact and, on everyone, and everyone benefits. So it's definitely that. I think over the years, I think I've... Um, I've definitely learned that the best type of leader I can be is being but being the best me. Um, and I've definitely learned it's not about trying to cut and paste a version of a load of other people. But if I truly want to be my best, I've got to be me. 
I've just got to find ways of being me with as much skill as I possibly can. Um, but actually, I've definitely seen the multiplier effect is by being the best me. And that took me longer, longer in life to realise, actually. And I think I think too often early in our careers, we're, we're asked to be someone else too much. And we're not encouraged to bring our true self to work and really work on our biggest strengths and really get those to shine. Um, and I think probably the biggest thing I've learned latterly is actually the organisations who focus on people's strengths and allow them their uniqueness to come to the fore and encourage it um, are much more successful. And I definitely, I've definitely become a better leader when I when I uh, am more of myself. And you know, I regret probably in my early career trying to be taught to look like and be like someone else. Yeah, no, it's a good, it's a really good piece of advice that and I think you're right. I mean, I, I've certainly been guilty of, you know, thinking you need to present yourself in a certain way or whatever. And and I think especially, well, female perspective as well, I was often, you know, the only woman in the boardroom with a PL. Yeah. And, you know, it was it was a different time. Thankfully, things have moved forward significantly, haven't they? But um, I remember almost feeling like I had to be more alpha, alpha female to get on in that man that man's world you know which of course it's ridiculous. Like now, I know it's ridiculous. And uh, I remember getting some feedback, actually, with 360 feedback, you know, all that from my team and from your bosses and your peers and all that. And I remember it was when I was at TUI, I was MD of the Emerging Markets. And one of the yeah. pieces of feedback I had was, and um, you know, lots of good stuff, professional, delivers results, all that kind of stuff, but always in a suit and a bit unapproachable. And it was a tiny, it was a small bit of feedback, but I thought, oh my gosh. Actually, do you know, I understand that. So I'm dressing in a way that I think is what I should be dressing to be in the boardroom. And of course, you've got to be, you know, but I thought, oh, no, actually, but outside of work, I'm much more colourful in my dress. And so I, I obviously it's a good excuse to go shopping, right? But, I, you know, I, I did change. I did change. And I thought, this is ridiculous. You know, I, it's almost putting on a uniform, you know, and I think, well, no, you, you, you're, the, you know, you're the best version of being you, aren't you? Yeah. Um, quite liberating when you um when you kind of feel in that place of your life and career that you have got the confidence to sort of be yourself um and and obviously you know not to harm anyone um not at all costs but but at the same time I think that authentic piece is so important and that's where people people follow you don't they you know they want to be part of what you're creating and part of your team you know and I think organizations yeah you look at it actually people go to you people early in their life are much more themselves they go to university and there's nothing around or whatever or their first job and then they end up in sort of this middle career and there's the people spend five ten years trying to conform individuals and try and get them to be like the organization or like x or mm. y and they lose the confidence of people then just growing as them and it's yeah. such a wasted opportunity around around the whole uk and it, it, it does frustrate me a lot and I think we need to encourage people to be themselves, but to be it with skill because you're in different environments and different things matter and you need to pull different levers and that sort of stuff. But be yourself as you do that. Um, mm. And uh, I think it, it definitely became liberating. It sounds like you've had very similar experiences. It definitely became liberating once I, once I believe that was really the recipe to be the best person you can be. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think leave your value, put good out in the world. I'm a big believer in the law of reciprocity, you know, not, not giving to receive. But I just think that if you're carrying yourself in the right way, treating people who should want to be treated yourself, all of those good things, it will come back tenfold. And I'm not talking about the financial reward, but it will come back to you. And, and I, I'm a massive believer in that. And, you know, never I, I always used to say, though, I'd never ask anyone to do something that I wasn't prepared to do myself or I hadn't done in, in my, you know, career yeah. life or whatever. And I, and that's something that sort of helped me kind of quite true, really. It probably comes from those working class values and roots, you know, whether you're the cleaner or the CEO, everyone has value. Um, and don't forget that, you know, don't lose yourself because on the way up, you'll probably meet the people on the way down as well, right? And people are people. <laughs> so... I just think everyone in life, every person is brilliant. They've got unique skills. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're blessed by how do we create the environment to help everyone's unique skills, make them better yeah. and happier and all that stuff. Um, yeah, absolutely. In this business, you can link that and create a thriving business at the same time. And that's why I love this industry so much. They're so connected. Mm, yeah what's been the most challenging time through your career do you think it, I mean it doesn't as I say it doesn't have to be born leisure it could be earlier career or what, what's been the most challenging for you do you think professionally yeah I, I remember I mean I remember when my mum and dad thought I was barking mad when I went from uh, PwC you can imagine you know you know out of that family background to have gone to university then to have gone to you know a brand like PwC and then to say you know, I'm now going to go to do some strategy stuff. That's okay, Flo. That's okay, Paul. Um, and, then, <laughs> um, and then suddenly, I remember saying to him, "I'm now going to, I'm now going to become a system manager at the Odeon Muswell Hill." And they thought, oh, well, "Yeah, that feels a bit challenging, Paul. What? Help me understand that." Which they probably didn't understand at, at the time. Um, but actually, that was really a challenging decision to suddenly mm -hmm. you know, take a slightly different route, and it was quite a brave decision to do. And I loved it, by the way. It was so much fun, and I learned more. I learned so much doing it, and I can still, I still refer to my time at Odeon Motor and Odeon Barnet in terms of that general management stint. Um, it was less; it was challenging. It was more a challenging decision to to take a different route. Um, and then other times, which were really challenging, was you know I remember the early part of, of COVID, Jeanette, when um, you know in terms of a tough decision to make when we all could see COVID spreading, no one really knew what was what it meant. Uh, we could see what was happening in China and Italy. The government wasn't forcing us to close down at the time. Um, we, had, we were full in all three brands we had at the time. Um, I, unfortunately, my best mate lost his mother-in-law at the time. And I'm thinking, of COVID, by the way, and I'm uh, thinking, how do I stay open? Mm. And I took a decision, a really tough decision to close probably 14 days earlier than anyone else. And knowing the, the repercussions of closing when you have to give all the holiday refunds and what that might mean for, for people and that sort of stuff. I found that a challenging decision. Um, I, I found it less, I found it a really challenging decision to make because that was a load of different things. And at times, um, you know, we go through periods of time when, um, you know, the sales line especially isn't moving in where you'd like it to move and you having to readjust the organization and you know those are those are some challenging times in in, mm. in perspective but again I, I go back to um get your values out get to what the real core of the organization is one of our core values in born is safe and secure 
you know, once you've probably got that piece of paper out and then ask yourself whether you should be open, it sort of um, yeah. became a straightforward decision with loads of repercussions, but it became a straightforward decision. Yeah, that's that's great advice, actually, because, you know, there'll be plenty of people listening to this or watching watching it on, on YouTube, you know, and, and maybe thinking, gosh, I'm, in, I'm at a real crossroads. I've got I've got some tough calls to make, whether it's personally or, or professionally. I think you're right. If you can come back to your reason why your purpose, your values, it kind of keeps you true, doesn't it? And you go, well, are we really am I being incongruent here with with that? And actually, that can that's obviously helped you make those t- those tough calls. Yeah, yeah, not easy, not easy at all. And and Paul, you know, when you um think about this this year uh, that we're in now, um, great that the industry's bounced back. Um, you know, business is good. Customers are having fabulous experiences. Yeah. You know, is is there a word that, or a phrase that sort of sums up this year for you? Because obviously, COVID was one period. We're now we're now in a different different phase. But is there is there a particular sort of word or phrase that you would sum up the year for you? Yeah, I love um, I love our mission. So you know, g- give our guests a great time with memories that last a lifetime. That's what our business is all about. There was nothing harder than when we're closed and you can't give your mission. We're now every day in both Warner and in Haven, um, giving our guests a great time with memories that last a lifetime. And when I walk around our sites, our parks, and our hotels, and see, you know people just having a great time. And we know a holiday makes a big difference to people's lives. Um, Mm. It's great. It's great to be able to do that. And it's great to be able to do that with more people than ever before. Um, And there's nothing better than doing that. And, you know, the more we do that, by the way, the more successful the business is going to be. And, you know, profits will grow, our value will grow, our job will grow more jobs, more careers. But at the essence isn't it lovely to be able to give more memories that last a lifetime to more people? Absolutely, absolutely right. And um, it's uh, it's interesting actually. You remind me of a phrase. I interviewed Mike Ruddock, who was the Grand Slam winning coach for the Welsh national rugby team. Fabulous guy. A few years ago, and and Mike said said in the pot in the podcast interview, he said your dreams need to be bigger than your memories. And I kind of like that. And I think with the journey you're on with Haven and with Warner, you know, you're constantly layering on those those memories, you know, helping dreams become reality, aren't you, as well as, as having the, the amazing history of experiences that people have had with you? Because your loyalty level is very high, isn't it? I know people come back time and time again. We're very blessed with existing guests who just love us and come back time and time again. We're blessed with holiday homeowners who own a, a caravan with us for a long time. Um, you know, the phrase I sometimes look with the, with the team is how to become the most loved, most loved in the UK. So if we could go anywhere in the UK and which UK holiday brand would you like to work for? I want everyone to say it's Haven Warner or Bourne. If I go anywhere in the UK and say, where do you want to have a UK holiday? I want them to talk about Haven Warner, clearly aimed at different segments and different missions. But, you know, I want to be the most loved. Um, yeah. And that, that makes people all feel the most proud in the organisation. And that no, that uh, that drives growth, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Feeding the love, Paul. Feeding yeah. the love. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wonderful. Exactly. Well, well, listen. Last couple of questions, if I may. Yeah. Um, so, when you look back through your life, obviously Uncle Alec and your parents and all of the wonderful teams and people you've worked with, your wonderful wife and kids have, have been big influences on you. But when you think about all the great advice that you've had over the years, is there a standout bit of advice that sort of you know? stayed with you or or that you refer back to regularly okay can i can i be greedy can i choose three 
Oh, go on then. Yes, why not? These are, um, and this advice um, has, has always come from people I love because I, I think people who you love can give you the, the proper piece of advice. And the, the first was when I was um, uh, from my uncle Harry when I was 12. And I played a card game with him. Um, and there's a Polish card game called Klubiash. I mentioned that all my family came over from Poland and Russia. So it's a, and basically, you have to try and get to a score of 501. And I was beating him by a mile. And I'm this little 12-year-old. And he said, do you fancy a bet? And I was this confident 12-year-old. And I said, yeah, I'll bet. And he said, well, what have you got to bet? And of course, 12-year-old at the time didn't have any money or anything like that. But I had a Casio watch. Do you remember those Casio watches? Those yeah. Big- so he said, yeah. well, why don't you bet that? And I said, okay, what are you going to bet? And he put, I can't remember, five pounds down or something, 10 pounds back. The cards turned and I lost. And my uncle took my watch. And I ran off to the toilet, had a good cry. And he said, by the way, you've got to tell your parents you've lost your birthday present. And he forced me to tell my parents. And he kept it that night and he came around the next day and he gave me my watch back as uncle would. And he said, love playing cards, love taking risks, Paul. Never lose something you can't afford to lose. And that that always struck me. The second one, (laughs) the second one is my is my uncle Alec. And my uncle Alec, despite everything he said, he, he always had a phrase, which is always love, never hate. And if love doesn't work, all you need to do is love some more. And I think that's a a really lovely phrase, especially given his context. And the third, um, I remember my mum and dad sitting me down and I never really got this advice till a bit later in life where they said, um, they said to me, never forget where you came from, Paul. It will be your biggest asset. And it really struck me that actually the more you remember who you are, where you come from and who you really are, actually that will be the thing which people will follow the most. So those are three different pieces of advice, but um, they've really struck with me. Fantastic, love it! Oh my words, yes, that's that's amazing. Three advice, three pieces. Of advice. No one has ever done three, by the way. Oh, so very, I like growth. Yeah, well, if you don't ask, you don't get right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's great. And so, last question. Obviously, this podcast called Brave, Bold, Brilliant, as you know, Paul. So, when you hear that, what does that mean to you? Well, from a personal perspective, you know. Brave is when I see people deal with health challenges and Uncle Alex's story and that sort of stuff. So in a business context, brave is nothing compared to that. But I think in a, brief, in, a in a business context, it's about speaking up about what you believe. It's about not walking past anything, uh, whether that's from an inclusive and diversity agenda, whether it's from a decision you don't like. I think it is about the courage to be clear on your views and don't be apathetic. So I, th- I, think, that, I think that's how I'd call brave. Bold. Um, if you want to change games, you need to be bold with it. You need you need ambitious targets. You need to be ambitious with your people. You need to be ambitious with your guests. Ambitious with your business. You properly need to believe you can achieve something which no one else believes you can. Uh, and if you are, if you try and play your best game and your team play your best game, be bold with it. Um, you might as well win in this life. Uh, Absolutely. And the last one was brilliant. Um, Brilliant, um, brilliant is what the mirror tells you. You know, ask ask the mirror. The mirror wants you to be the best you can be. Um, and if you really ask yourself, was I brilliant today? 
you know, did I stand for the right things? Did I say the right things? Did I look after the people? Did I make the right decisions? But it's not about output brilliance. It's about what you truly ask yourself. And why wouldn't everyone want to try and be brilliant? Um, it makes a difference to everybody. Yeah, fantastic. Well, amazing words of wisdom. Thank you so much, Paul. It's been an absolute joy. And um, yeah, I will see you for the version two of the next round of the podcast. And we'll do that one in person. Amazing. That'd be great. It'd be lovely spending a bit of time with you, as always. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. I appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.